to the Thy Neighbor podcast, conversations with everyday people who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. I am your host and occasional solo caster, Tracy Robbins King. If you are inspired by this episode and someone comes to mind as you listen, share this with that person. If you have benefited from the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. Your ratings, reviews, and shares make a difference and allow this podcast to reach more remarkable people like you. Heidi Tucker is an award-winning author and speaker. She has won multiple Best Inspirational Awards for her books, which include Bridge of Miracles, The Secret Keepers, Finding Hope in the Journey, and Servi's Song. Her passion for writing and speaking about light and hope has inspired thousands. Heidi is known as a great storyteller who believes that every story not only teaches an important principle, but can make you feel it. She has inspired many to rise up, cling to their faith, and position their hearts to recognize God's hand in their life. When Heidi isn't writing her next book or speaking at a conference, you'll find her spending time outdoors with her husband, four grown children, and 11 grandchildren. She loves sunflowers, hiking, and ice cream, not necessarily in that order. Heidi, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Will you begin by telling us how you discovered your love for storytelling? Absolutely. I grew up with a dad that was so cute. He would say to me, Heidi, let's go on a walk. And, you know, from the time I was little, and we still did that when I was a teenager. And he would tell me stories as we walked. And I knew I didn't know as well then as I do as I do now that he was teaching me principles through storytelling. Um, it was just a way to be less of a lecture and more of, you know, this is how this works in people's lives. And it was um, it was really inspiring for me. And it helped me to understand the gospel and how it's applied to our everyday lives. And it was just a wonderful way to do that. And um, so whether it was walks or sometimes it was, uh, I'm the oldest of six kids. And sometimes there were a lot of stories at the dinner table. So sometimes the stories were there, but really uh, my dad is a storyteller and I learned that from him. What about writing? So how have you become a published author? How did you utilize the storytelling skills and pivot that towards writing? Okay. That's such a loaded question. And uh <laughs> One of the most common questions I'm asked is, did you always dream that you'd be an author? And that's a funny question for me because the answer is both no and yes. I was in my final year of teaching early morning seminary. So I was bone weary, tired, so tired from, you know, getting up at 430 every day for four years. Um, My youngest daughter was just getting ready to leave the nest. So I knew I was going to be an empty nester. She was my youngest of four children. And I had just turned 50. And my son had just come home early from a mission call to Russia. And so I was spiritually and emotionally and physically beat up, just beat up. And um, so I got on a plane, I was going coming up to Utah, to spend Thanksgiving with family. And on the way between airports, I had a dream. And in that dream, I saw my hands holding a book. 
And I knew that that book was mine in the dream. I knew it. And I thumbed through the pages. I saw that it was a book about hope. And, um, and when the plane landed on the runway, I, it jolted me out of that dream. And I had two thoughts. And the first thought was that was so real. Like it was way bigger and more meaningful than a real, you know, than a dream. It was just, I felt like I'd been plugged into an electric outlet. And the second feeling that quickly chased it was, um, there's no way. Why would I ever do that? I would never write a book. I'm a business major from ASU. I'm not a lit major. I'm not an English major. You know, that is not anywhere on my bucket list that says I want to grow up to be an author. Never even a thought. And so I just, I just just thought, you know, why, why would I ever do that? And because of the situation that I was in at that time in my life, I locked that dream up in a box in the back of my head and, and just said, no way. I didn't tell my husband about it. I didn't tell my kids about it because that would have made it real. And I was running as fast as I could away from that. And so over the next several months, I had some really clever what I thought were very well-constructed arguments with Heavenly Father about why I was the wrong girl to do that. And eventually, um, in his incredible love and patience, my heart began to soften over the next few months as I continued to pray and to really have some conversations and some meditation <laughs> and try to figure myself out. Um, he never let go of that. And one day I randomly was walking up my street, uh, my dirt road to go home. I love to take hikes in the desert in Arizona. And um, I had really been praying and fasting and going to the temple and really talking about, you know, what is my next path, Heavenly Father? What do you want me to do next? Because seminary was off the table. I was done. I had done the four years and someone else was replacing me. So I'm like, I have all this time now, in, in addition to the part-time time job that I did um, to earn a living, I had some extra time available. And so I'm, I'm saying, Heavenly Father, what do you want from me? And out of the blue, I mean, I'm not kidding, just out of left field, I saw my hands holding that book again. It was this quick image that flashed in front of my mind when I really hadn't thought about it much for some time. And I just about fell down in the dirt. And I said, Heavenly Father, anything but that. And um, it was hard. I continued on that journey. And eventually, I found the courage to sit down. And in great fear and trepidation, uh, thinking, I don't even know what I'm doing. I sat down at my computer one day because I had a really spiritual experience on the mountain when I hiked earlier that morning. And I sat down and I wrote the first paragraph. And um, from that moment on, words came flooding forward. And all of a sudden, I, I couldn't even keep up. I couldn't type fast enough to keep up with the words that were filling my mind and all that I wanted to say in that book. And so really, it's a, it's a lesson to me that I continue to have to learn in my impatience, right? Um, that sometimes we want what we were asking for to be laid out on a silver platter. I wanted the book outline to be on a billboard somewhere, right? So that I could just say, okay, Heavenly Father, I can do that, right? No, I had to start in all my vulnerability and just feeling like I wasn't enough, feeling like I wasn't capable 
And I had to take that scary step first. And once I did that and I made the commitment, it just came forward. And it's been like that with every book I've written. Every book has its own wall that I have to climb to feel like I can really tell this story because I tell now I tell other people's stories. My first book is very personal about me. And now I'm writing about other other people's stories of hope. And they feel so big and hard and like, how can I even do this? And I find once again, again and again and again, I'm writing my fifth book now, that when I start, when I sit down and I start and I commit, then the blessings come and I find the words and the spirit touches my spirit and I feel the words come forward. So it's been a real learning and just an incredible journey. And it's one I never saw coming never saw this coming. And it just goes to show that Heavenly Father knows what our gifts are and our strengths are, even when we don't. I did not know that I could write like I write. I didn't know I had that in me, but he did. He did. And so I'm so incredibly grateful for his patience and sticking with me as I just seriously argued so hard that I I couldn't do it. And so here I am. Is there anything that you can look back on your life and think, oh, I guess that was training for this time? Seminary. Early morning seminary is the greatest and the hardest calling I've ever had. You know, a lesson every single day for teenagers. And so that taught me discipline. It taught me discipline and it taught me that the spirit really makes a difference in your lessons. You can um, you can prepare something for a class full of teenagers at 6 a.m. that just goes down the outline that you've prepared. And if you don't let the spirit guide your words, it's going to fall flat um, most mornings. But if you let the spirit guide you and you just go where you feel directed to go after all that you've done, which is the prep, It's amazing the difference it would make in my lessons. And so I learned that over four years. Obviously, I look back on research papers that I did in high school and in college, right, where I wrote outline after outline after outline to try to document what I needed to write about. I'm a serious outliner now. I have to outline the story. I outline each chapter. Sometimes I outline each section of a chapter. So I look back and it all comes together, but truly the greatest blessing are the spiritual blessings that I've learned that sort of culminated in what I'm doing now. The book I read, Finding Hope in the Journey, how do you encourage others? Because in that book, you really outline how do we cultivate hope in our lives? What do you understand about hope because of yours and others' life experiences? Because you highlight both of those also in your book. A lot of people's stories in your story. Right, right. And I continue to I continue to do the same thing in these other books that move forward with people's lives. And that is that hope comes in such a variety of forms. It's very, very different for each of us. I mean, you and I could sit down and talk about examples in our lives, and they would be so different. And something that you would say, I would just think, okay, good for you. You know, that doesn't that doesn't feel like much for me. But in that moment of your life, where you are spiritually and emotionally and whatever is happening in the trench that you're currently trying to climb out of, it can be incredibly significant. And it can be as simple as 
you know, a bird or something that someone says or something that you see or hear, someone says something from the pulpit at church or there's a hymn selected and you sing a phrase at, you know, at church and you're thinking, why am I even here? I don't even want to be here. And then you sing a phrase in a hymn and you go, oh my gosh, thank you, Heavenly Father. That's exactly what I needed to hear. So it comes in all kinds of forms and, and the frightening thing about it is that we have to just trust that it's there and not know what it's going to look like and when it's going to happen. But to just open your mind, soften your heart and say, Heavenly Father, I need to know that you're aware of me at this time. And here's, here's what the righteous desire of my heart is. Um, I also know about hope that it doesn't mean that that situation is taken away from you. It doesn't mean that he's going to reach down and, and grab a hold of that situation and just remove it. Sometimes he doesn't move the mountain. Sometimes he just helps you climb it. I would say usually that's the case. You know, occasionally we all hear of miracles where the, the mountain is removed. I mean, it's just incredible. And it's this incredible miracle. But um, so it's really, um, it's a very deep subject. Hope is incredible. But my favorite definition of hope is the confident expectation and longing for promised blessings of righteousness. So it's not just wishful thinking. It's not, it's a confident expectation. And that digs down deep into your soul of your, a true testimony of um, eternal blessings and that God loves you and that he wants the same things that you do. Because for so many of us, the prayer is righteous. It's a righteous prayer. So why wouldn't it be answered today? Well, because there's lessons to be learned on both sides of that situation. And so, um, but I do know that hope is real. I know it's real. I've seen it in my own life and I see what it can do for others in their own stories, which I write about. So I was talking to my sister-in-law yesterday and we were talking about how some people, I she was talking to a friend who said, I really feel like hope is a bad thing. And she was saying it in regards to that. And what I feel like she was saying is my hopes haven't been fulfilled. Therefore, I feel like I resent hope. Right. And and I guess I wonder how would you address somebody in that position where they're resenting right. hope? Well, I think they're looking at hope as removal, like I'd said before, removal of a situation. And I think sometimes hope is just is knowing that God is aware of you and aware of your circumstance. And that can be incredibly motivating to know, to get a glimmer of hope that you know he is aware. And um, so that's what I would say to someone is that, you know, maybe you're, you know, who's, who's, who's instigating the answer to that hope, you or, or God, right? So if you're demanding that certain things be shown in your hope, I think you, you might be disappointed. We have to be really open-minded and soft. Our hearts have to be very soft to be able to see that. And that can that can happen. There are patterns we can take to make that happen. So what are some of those patterns? I think one of the most important patterns is what I call find your space. I talk about it a little bit in the book. And when I do a lot of speaking events, I talk about finding your space. 
And that's different than the nighttime prayers that we say by our bed. Those prayers for me, I am so tired by 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. I'm not ready to receive anything. I mean, it's going to have to be pounded on my head if I'm going to hear it or see it or feel it because I'm, I'm just done by that time. So when I say find your space, I mean, carve out a little section of your day, whether it's five minutes or it's 30 minutes going on a hike or a walk or whatever you do where you are ready to receive. So you're going to pour your heart out in prayer for very detailed things. And really, it's not a rote prayer. It's not something that we say from the pulpit at church. It's very emotional. And you can talk about like you would to your best friend, what is happening in your life? What brings you joy? What is tearing your heart out right now? And talk about that and then leave time to listen. That's your space is leaving room to listen and to receive. Now, we're not going to receive every day. That's not the way it works. But when I hike up the mountain, I love to hike. Or I love to do what I call my power prayer walks. I never have music in my ears because I need to hear the promptings that come in occasionally. And so I just walk in silence and, you know, part of the time I'm talking to my heavenly father and the other part of the time I just am silent and looking around and just, um, you know, enjoying his beauty around me. So wherever that space is, if it's on a rocking chair on your back porch, is it, you know, in a, a special room at your house that you love to just sit in a comfy chair and find that space and that can make a real difference for you. I really loved the story that you told about one of your hikes where you were feeling overlooked or maybe a little forgotten if God was listening to you and speaking to you and how he answered that. Do you know which event I'm specifically talking about? Yeah, that was right after my son came home from his mission early. He came home 11 weeks into the MTC and it was devastating for him. It was devastating for me, right? As mama grizzly bear, I'm just... It's not what it was supposed to look like. It's not what it was supposed to look like for him either. And so we're both just rolling around in the mud of life, just like having major faith crises, right? And just what happened here? I was really distraught about it. And I was hiking one day up in Utah and going down this trail and having one of those all out bawling, crying prayers. And it was a pretty good hard hike, which was great. I wanted to just grit out every ounce of energy in my body. And so I'm walking along and I'm crying. And all of a sudden I see a a white butterfly fly out of this tall yellow grass that was on the sides of of the trail that I was taking. And then here came another one and there came another one. And all of a sudden, Tracy, I'm not kidding. There were like 50 butterflies that, and they were all white and they swirled around me in a circular fashion for about a minute as I walked down that trail. And I knew in that moment that God knew who I was and that he knew who my son was. There was no doubt in my mind. You know, people can talk about coincidences. Don't you dare say that word with in relation to that event in my life. That will be a miraculous event forever. And it wasn't the answer that I wanted which I wanted Heavenly Father to fix this, right? It wasn't the answer I wanted, but it was the answer I needed. I was seen and I've never forgotten that. And from that point forward, 
I knew I was not forgotten. And so I was able to sort of get through the next, you know, period of time to sort of deal with what we were going through at that time. I also loved the story that you shared about your son and the prompting you received regarding finding him a job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, random things where, you know, that's a, it, it was a prayer in my heart and he needed purpose in his life. One day I'm just, I'm looking on the computer and I just, something happens to scroll across that says that they need a cafeteria worker at the temple. And I thought, holy cow. And so I immediately call him and I said, what do you think about this job opening? It's part-time. It would work with his school hours, you know? And so I, I call him and he jumps right on it and, and managed to find that job. And that was a bridge for him kind of a spiritual bridge that was helping him navigate the waters that he was trying to navigate at that time. And so, you know, the, the details are just amazing that, that we find if we just look around, the details are so small, but they are significant in our lives at that time and can be so easily missed. I could have swiped that off my screen. I don't even know how it got on there. I could have swiped that off so fast and said to myself, I have no interest in in this? Why is this on my screen? Yeah, it was just amazing. A real blessing to both of us. So actually in your book, according to the story in your book, you said that your you had a prompting to check the church yes. website specifically on your walk. Like you yes. had a prompting. Yes. So that's powerful, right? That there was it is. a specific prompting that came to you to go and look on the website to find that option that right. was available to help your son specifically in his situation. Right. What came across my screen was, um, was something that triggered that prompting, you know, something came across that was something about a job opportunity or a temple. I can't even remember what it was, but it prompted me to dig. Uh, And there there it was. Yeah. Just amazing. Really. So amazing. Heavenly father's taking care of us. (laughs) And in your book, you said, God knows our weaknesses are a conduit to this inspired process of becoming stronger. And so how have your weaknesses become a future strength? I mean, one of the first things I did when I started to write was join an author's club because I'm thinking, I don't know anything about this. And so absolutely, that was a weakness that I went into being an author without any real knowledge from college or from study. I mean, nothing. I just went in so, so green. And so it humbled me to work hard. First of all, I felt like I had to work really, really hard, um, but also to be humble enough to let the spirit guide my words. As I write these stories, I try to feel um, what these people have been through. And I write from my heart, not necessarily from my head. So that the reader can really embrace the story and see um, see what that might feel like if they were there. And what are some of your favorite miracles from your life? <laughs> I mean, there's I'm sure there's so many, but there's so many. Sometimes it's something that you see, and sometimes it's something that you feel. Uh, the example uh, that I can immediately think of when I something that you see is, I think I write about this in my book. When I was traveling to see my daughter, she was having her first child and she was in labor and I was driving from Arizona to Utah to try to beat the birth of that baby. I was driving way too fast, (laughs) significantly over 
Highway 20, which connects that kind of Panguitch over to Beaver and to go up the I-15, just flying over that. And then I get, I'm getting this phone call from my other daughter who's saying, you know, there's trouble. The baby's not breathing, right? And I'm driving while all of this is happening. The baby's not breathing. We don't know what's wrong. He's blue. And so I'm praying and I'm just like, what can I do? I'm behind the wheel of a far too fast moving car, right? Trying to get there um, to be of service and help and all of that. And all of a sudden in the sky, I noticed that clouds kind of parted and sun rays came through in this brilliant beam of light in front of me. And I, I just, I saw that and I knew everything was going to be okay. It was such a spiritual glimpse. You know, someone else would call that a coincidence. No, that was not a coincidence. That was a message for me. I immediately backed off on my speed and I took it down to a reasonable person's speed in the car because I knew things were okay. So when I ran into the hospital um, and went up to the floor, I wasn't in a panicked, hysterical mess because of the sun that had come through those, those clouds. I, I felt comfortable knowing that. And then another time, another one of my very favorite miracles is my mom was really, really ill. She's got a disease called Wegener's disease, and she was uh, bleeding internally and suffering and um, close to dying. I had gotten a call from the hospital. So I'm racing to the hospital for her. And on the way there, um, I'm listening to Christmas music and I'm just trying to remain calm. And all of a sudden I felt so strongly my brother-in-law who had passed a few years earlier, I felt his presence in the car and it was so strong that I actually turned around and looked in my back seat thinking I would see him and I did not see him, but I knew he was there. And so I had a conversation by myself in the car with him for the rest of the way. And I, um, absolutely believe he was there to get my mom if she passed because she should have died and didn't. And that's a whole nother podcast. Um, but I think he was there to comfort. He was there to comfort the family and my sister who had lost him as, as her husband. Um, when we were talking a couple days later, she pulled me aside and mentioned to her mentioned to me, that she felt that same situation in her back seat as she was driving to the hospital. So we both had the same experience, which was just incredible. You know, that's a little miracle. That's just this beautiful, tender mercy that, that Heavenly Father is allowing us to feel so that we can get through things that are difficult. And I don't think it always has to be... Um, in times of, you know, death or terrible trauma or things like that. I think that we can feel little glimmers of hope from those who've passed on or from our Heavenly Father through the Spirit. I think we can feel that in times of great joy. I think, think we can feel maybe a celebration, you know, at a wedding or something that that the, we think, oh, we, we wish that they were here. And sometimes you see people that will talk about um, they see a certain bird or the, or a favorite flower, or they see something and they're just like, oh my gosh, you know, she's here or he's here. It's such a beautiful thing, but it's, it's really opening up your heart to be able to see 
those glimmers of hope. When have you felt God's celebration in your life? Maybe a time where you've actually seen him in those joyful moments where you notice that he is supporting the joy or the celebration of the moment. A lot of times it's when I'm outdoors. I just will notice the beauty around me, whether it's raining or whether it's sunny. And even, even when I'm hiking, you know, in snow and it's just, I just look around and I feel this closeness and this gratitude for a beautiful earth that, you know, sometimes feels if you look at the news too much, it feels like this terrible place where everything is going wrong. But in those moments of silent sort of reverence, I feel celebrated and I feel grateful and I feel joyful and I feel like I'm connected with my Savior in those moments. Since discovering a talent that God opened you up to, how is God showing you his gratitude for taking that leap of faith? He is showing me through other people. Absolutely. Every time I go to a a large speaking event or even a small one, when I go to a speaking event, my prayer always begins the day before. And it is please inspire someone who may not want to be there that they will come and that I might say something that touches their heart, that your words will be my words and that it it will work for somebody's benefit. And I'm not kidding, Tracy. Like I can't tell you the number of times I've gone to, to huge conferences, women's conferences or whatever. And someone will always come up to me and, and they're crying and they, and I, and I know what they're going to say before they even say it. They say, I was not supposed to be here tonight but so-and-so called me or, right. Or I just looked at this and I knew I had to be there and she's, and, and she'll say, you know, or he, I've had men do this too. will say what you said. I absolutely needed to hear tonight. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I even say? Right. And I'll never know, I'll never know, but that is absolutely God's gratitude. And it's, it's his reminder to me that I'm the instrument I'm willing to show up and to open my mouth and to to pray, you know, pray for guidance. And I mean, I'm prepared, obviously, right? I'm going to show up prepared and I'm going to just humble myself and allow myself to be led in the right direction. So I get that all the time. And for my books, I get, I get so many beautiful emails from people all over the world that read those stories and say, I will never be the same after reading this story. That's all I need to know to that I'm on the right journey. I'm supposed to be here. So when my cute little grandson, that's 12, he said to me a few months ago, grandma, when are you going to stop writing books? And I said, when heavenly father tells me to, and that's the honest answer. Really. When I don't feel compelled to continue to do what I'm doing, because it takes an enormous amount of my time, then I will stop when I feel like I'm supposed to stop. But right now I look at it as a mission or a calling that I'm on. You are the faucet. He is the water. Yes. I love that. Oh my gosh. I haven't heard that before. And how do you recommend we access more of God's power in our prayers? I really enjoyed your chapter on prayer and specifically how we cultivate that. 
beyond, you did speak about how we're doing our own, our own space, like finding that space to actually converse with him. But how have you learned to be more specific in your language with God? Yeah, because we want to just get global, right? We want to get big and do the generalizations that we hear from the time we were little tiny primary kids. We, we tend to, to walk into that pattern. And I even find myself doing that too. And so I need to stop myself and get very, very specific and detailed with my prayers. So it's just sort of a concerted effort. Part of that for me is I'm so less formal when I'm outside walking or hiking and saying my prayers than I am in my home. It's more conversational. It's more, I really, really am talking about details and about what I'm afraid of. And just all of these things that are, that are happening in my life that are causing me, you know, real stress and concern for kids or for friends. And so I can keep those prayers really detailed if I get out of the patterns inside my house. And I find that interesting because I have noticed for myself and for others that some of my friends say, I really feel like I can't speak out loud and feel comfortable in my home because either there's too many people who I feel like can hear me mm-hmm. or I feel like there's just, it's, yeah, I'm just aware. I'm too aware of what's going on around me and it's hard for me to focus. And one solution that my friend found is that she writes her prayers, that writing her nice. prayers, yeah. like, I mean, the whole prayer journaling concept has really helped her to be able to pray allowed in her, you know, so that's helped her write her thoughts. And right. I feel like there's always a way it's just whether or not we're asking God, Hey, I need, I need even inspiration about how to best talk to you so I can be more heartfelt and more open to there's, there's a detailed prayer right there asking for the detail. How do I do this? Show me how I can do this. Yeah, for me, there are to-do lists all over my house, invisibly written on the wall, and I can see them, and nobody else does, right? All the things that need to be do- need to be done, I see them, but nobody else does. And so for me, yeah, I got to get out of my house, away from my computer. I'm a type A person, and so I'm a list maker. And so I got to get away from my lists, because I think that so many things that Heavenly Father wants me to do are not on my list. I need to go ask about how I can be a disciple today. Who can I help today? Gosh, when you ask that question in real detail of how can I help someone today, you're going to see that. (laughs) You're going to see it. God likes to answer that one. He likes to answer that question. He does. Oh my gosh. You just kind of brace yourself. And then sure enough, you get a phone call, you get an email, a neighbor. I mean, you just see it. You see it and you think, okay, Heavenly Father, here's the answer to my prayer this morning. And what have you learned about the times God has granted you the desires of your heart and the times that he has not? That is such a hard lesson that I'm still continuing to learn. Just when I think I've learned, I've got Heavenly Father's timing, like the patience of his timing versus my timing. Just when I think I've got that nailed in my life, something else happens in my life that I feel frantic and that I need it to be answered immediately. So I have kids that have left the church. And so a very righteous desire of my heart is that those grandkids that are in those homes 
that don't worship God or Jesus Christ or anything to do with religion anymore. I want those kids in primary this Sunday. That's a righteous desire of my heart, but I have to trust that Heavenly Father loves those families as much as I do and that he has their best interest at heart. And so there have to be lessons to be learned by me, by them, right? By anybody else involved in this picture. And so it's the timing thing. There, there's that scripture. I talk about it when I speak a lot and it's DNC 8864. Whatsoever ye ask the father in my name, it shall be given unto you. Stop right there. We love the first half of that scripture. Isn't that magnificent, right? Ask and you'll be given. But unfortunately, it continues on. That is expedient for you. And that's the hard part. Ah, that's the lesson. That's the difference in timing. And so I just have to trust, you know, when my kids first left the church, you know, you can't even talk about it. You can't even say it out loud. You're just so overwhelmed with grief for a portion of your white picket fence that has been knocked down and just kicked over. And you just think, how, how can I get through this with anything, whether it's a health issue or a faith issue, you know, anything that might be happening in your life. At first, you kind of grovel around in the mud and say, why me? Why me? And eventually you have to move and transition over to what now? Which is a very different question to ask Heavenly Father is what now? And then you look, you look and keep your eyes open for what he wants you to do with that. So that's a hard time though. I don't love that. I don't love that transition. I can just say, (laughs) I don't love that difference of timing. But I get it. I get it. I understand the principle of it. And you specifically talk about service, about who you are and who God is through service. It's all interconnected. So I have a sign on the wall here in my den. And it says, those who bring sunshine to the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves. I love that quote because, and it's so applicable to me because sometimes I'll be driving to a speaking event that's really far and it's taking me away from my home and maybe I'm missing some things that I would have been doing with my kids or my grandkids uh, or taking away from my husband. And I kind of grumble on the way there. I think, really, (sighs) I need to just maybe cut this back a little bit, but anyway, I'm driving there and then, you know, I do my thing and I share my message of hope and I talk about my testimony and I leave seriously so happy and so enlightened and just filled to the brim with joy. And uh, it takes me hours before I can go to sleep after a speaking event, because I am so just energized from it. And so that quote I believe that whether you're speaking to a group of people or whether you're serving someone else, you feel the sunshine in your own life if you spread it in the lives of others. And that comes directly from God. That's God's light. And we're just out there spreading the seeds of it. And when we do so, it paves a happy, joyful life for us. It doesn't mean everything's going to be picture perfect, but it gives us moments of light. And we all need that in our life. And what is life teaching you right now? That's so interesting. I've just been through, I've got kind of chronic vertigo that comes and goes. And I just had a massive event that knocked me into a, I'd say knocked me off my feet into a recliner chair where I just sat in for days because I couldn't get out of a spin. 
I was in a really violent spin and it was a horrible time. And so in that very dark period of time, that was just back in April, I think the lesson for me as I just sort of talked to Heavenly Father in my spinning world was more is not better. And that I need to pace myself and be sure that I've left enough room for that space. That's really my relationship with Heavenly Father. I am trying to pace myself a little bit. I'm not going to say yes to every single thing. And that's the lesson that I'm trying to learn now because I'm, and that's hard for me because I'm a doer. I love to do. And I'm trying to find a better balance. I don't, there's no such thing as balance, but I'm trying to find a better way where I'm not depleting myself completely at the expense of trying to lift the world up. I'm working on that right now. (laughs) It's ongoing. Yeah. How interesting. Oh my gosh. Vertigo is something, I mean, I've, I've spoken to groups before where when I had kind of a flu, a little bit of a flu. And I felt really rotten, but I can fake, I can fake that, right? I can fake it through that. Vertigo, for any of your listeners out there who've had vertigo, and I'm talking room spinning vertigo, like really bad. I kind of chronically have the room always is moving a little bit. And I've gotten used to that. that that's okay. But when I go into a spin, you can't fake through that. You know, that just puts me right down. So he got my attention. And I, first I said, why me? Of course, I went into the, the exactly what I teach in, in groups. I went into why me? And then I know I recognized that. And I said, okay, what now? Where's the lesson, Heavenly Father? Where's the lesson? And so pacing myself is going to be helpful for me, I think. Yeah. And will you give us a brief synopsis? So we have talked about the book that you wrote and the, the finding hope in the journey. There are three other books and clearly one that you're writing right now. So the bridge of miracles, the secret keepers and Servi's song. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis about how you started to pivot towards writing other people's stories? Yeah. You know, I, when I finished finding hope in the journey, I was like, okay, heavenly father, I did it. You know, wash my hands done. Like that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm done. And I did it. And I was proud of myself, but I thought, you know, moving on what's next. And Servi approached me. She was in my uh, ward in Arizona and I didn't know her. I only knew her name was Servi and I only knew that she was from Zimbabwe. I didn't know anything else about her. She knew my name and that's all she knew about me. And I stood up in Relief Society and quoted a Christmas story one December years ago. And she had been told by God that she needed her story to be written to inspire the world. And she wasn't able to do that. She's not able in English, which is not her native language. Zulu is her native language from Zimbabwe. There's no way that she could do that. And so she was fasting and praying for months on how do I do this hard thing that you've asked me to do? I stand up, I read this Christmas story, and she told me later when I went to her home, she called and asked if I would come over. And I didn't even know why I was supposed to go over. I was young women's president at the time. And I wondered if there was an issue with her daughter. I had no idea. So I just went over to her house and, you know, we're talking about the weather and whatever, just, I don't know her. And 
So finally I said, Servi, why am I here? And she started to cry. And she reminded me of the story that I read in Relief Society. And I'm already thinking, where's the Relief Society president? Why am I here? It should be the Relief Society, but there's an issue here. And you know, she's crying in front of me. And she said to me, there was a light on top of your head that I saw. And I knew that God was asking me to ask you to write my story, that you were the answer to my prayer. And I just sat there in complete shock and silence for a moment. And it was one of those top five spiritual moments of my life I'll never forget because the room kind of took on a golden glow. And I knew that was a true statement that I was supposed to write her story. I didn't even know her story. I know that she's Servi from Zimbabwe. That's all I know, right? So I felt um, an incredible need to do this, that this was a project I needed to take on. And so I said, Servi, I'll do that. And she began to just weep. And I started to cry too, for very different reasons than she was crying. And I just knew at that moment that I was going to have to do that. And so I said, okay, well, Servi, I'm going to need to learn your story. And it, what, if, what a story it was. Oh my gosh. You know, so for the next year, I'm learning her story and interviewing her. And we went forward with that. But, but the clincher really, you know how sometimes when you have a real spiritual experience and you start to backpedal, right? You start to rationalize what just happened here. So that was me. I go to leave her house at that first meeting and I say, okay, Servi. Did you, did you read my first book? And is that why you're asking me to write your story? And she looks at me and says, you mean you're an author? You've written a book? Like she didn't even know, right? As far as she knew, I, I could have had a third grade education. Like she didn't even know. So I said, let me go back. I've got a book in, my, in the back of my car. I ran to my backseat. I, I grab a book and I give it to her. And I said, I need you to read a few chapters to make sure you're comfortable with my writing. And she just kind of shook her head and said, God told me, I don't need to read your book, but I'll take a look at it. You know, like the faith, the faith of that woman was just incredible. And so that became an incredible blessing to be able to be humbled at her feet as she told me her incredibly tragic story of coming to the United States to earn money to send back to to her children she was widowed and they she couldn't even afford to send them to school or to put groceries on the table. And so it's this incredible story of her life, a horrific tragedy over and over and over again. And ultimately she finds the gospel and finds peace in eternal families. And the gospel just lights up her life. And so it's just this amazing story. And every, every book um, since then has come into my lap. I have not gone looking for any of these stories. That's why I say when Heavenly Father tells me I'm done, then I'll be done. Because I'm not searching for these stories. They come to me from a variety of circumstances. So there's a story like that for each one. Bridge of Miracles is my newest release. And he is from Kenya, Africa. He's this poor barefoot boy. Didn't own shoes until he was 15 years old. Meets the missionaries living in one of the largest um, impoverished areas there. It's, it's the slums of Nairobi. And he meets the missionaries and it changes his life. And he becomes so enlightened by the gospel that he continues to bring 
hundreds of people to missionary lessons to the point that the mission president slaps a badge on him at the age of 17 and says, guess what? You're a full-time missionary. I call you to be a missionary because the other elders couldn't even keep up with him. And um, he now has been in the United States for several years since um, about, I think, the year 2000 or just before that. He sang with the Tabernacle Choir for 12 years. That's a whole miraculous story. And it's just this incredible story of all the miracles. He comes to the United States with $50 in his pocket and a prayer in his heart. Who does that? Right? Who can do that? And eventually he makes a run for president of Kenya, puts a bid in to run for president because he loves the people there and he wants to rescue them. So how do you go from, you know, 15 years old and barefoot living in the largest slum of Kenya to running for president of the country? It's a story of all the miracles that lead up to that. Um, and so that's the newest release. And the one before that is The Secret Keepers, which is um, a really tragic story of a woman who was abused um, and traumatized so severely as a child that she developed dissociative identity disorder or DID, used to be called multiple personality disorder. Her beautiful mind split into different parts to be able to take pieces of that abuse that she was, that was happening to her on a daily basis in her home. Um, but yet it's the story, you know, I have to set the stage. And so I don't use yucky details, but you know what's happening to her. And then really the story is about her rise, her trust and her faith in the savior to pull her out of that situation and to become the, become the cutest mom and grandma, you know, and to meet her husband. How does that happen? And how does she learn to live with all of those parts? Because just because the abuse is taken away doesn't mean the parts go away. They're there forever um, because they don't know that they're not in danger anymore. And so um, I help the reader really understand the process. And you're just so inspired by her. She is such a light. What happens to her is dark, but she is a light. And anyone that meets her or reads her story is just almost speechless about what she's been through and how far she's come. She's incredible. That's one of those stories, you know, that when that, when that, when that story came to my lap and I knew that I was going to have to write this book, I was majorly intimidated by that. I mean, really. Um, but it's one of the greatest blessings of my life. I just have such a tender love for her and will forever. Wow. Well, Heidi, we are so glad you are doing the work and that God has called you and that you are listening to what he is asking you to do. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we know that um, those who are listening, um, if you, is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like to tell people who are listening? Um, just to not give up, not don't give up ever, ever, ever. Don't give up. Stay in your body despite what's happening in your life, you know, things can feel hopeless at, in certain seasons of your life, but don't ever give up. Just consider that the timing is off. You know, what are the lessons that you're to learn and to keep moving forward? The atonement is such a powerful force. We talk about it as essential for salvation in the remission of sins, but the atonement is not just for sinners, it's for saints. The atonement is there to give us the power to do things we are unable to do on our own. I hope that um, your listeners can feel 
like they can pray to have the atonement in their life, that they can feel that power to do something that feels too hard. I've, I've said those words in prayers before. Heavenly Father, I need a piece of the atonement today. And um, I love that we can ask for that. You know, that's a very detailed prayer. Um, but hope is real and it's going to come in all forms and pray to see it. Pray to feel it. Pray that your heart will be softened enough that you can recognize those glimmers of hope that Heavenly Father desperately wants you to recognize. Because then you you know and you feel like he's on your team. He's very aware of you. And he knows all the chapters in your own story. He knows them. He's um, And so just continue one chapter at a time and continue with him on the path. I love it. And what is, how do we follow you? How do we uh, connect with you? And how do we get a hold of your books? Okay, so I am all over the web. And the easiest place to find me is HeidiTucker.com. So H-E-I-D-I, HeidiTucker.com, T-U-C-K-E-R. And everything is there. I'm also on Facebook. So you can follow me on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, I use those to just really spread light and hope into the world every day. I do some writing, some little snippets of things. I, I sometimes put videos up. I also have a YouTube channel and they can all be accessed by Heidi Tucker. And right now, if you go to my website, um, for your, for your listeners, if you go to my website and you want to purchase any of my books there, if you type in the promo code podcast, you'll get 20% off, whether it's one book or you want to get all the books, I'll give you the discount for, for whatever you purchase and so that's going to be the best deal out there. That's going to be cheaper than Amazon because my books are on Amazon and they're also at Deseret Book. But if you go to my website direct, I'll sign the books. I'll send them out by the next day and you'll get 20% off. That's super generous. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to do that for your cute audience. Thank you so much. And Heidi, it has been a total pleasure to have you on. And we thank you, of course. I thank you deeply for the work you're doing. And I feel like above all things, it is remember, it is it is super important to remember that God works with people who do things. <laughs> he works with those who move and that he he wants us to use our agency to move mm-hmm. forward. And I, I really am so grateful for the agency that you're using to to spread hope. And I read the first, I think I've read like the first 70 uh, pages of your book. And it has been, I've cried multiple times. It is a very inspiring book. And I know that all the other books are too, because I read all the reviews, but I am super excited to, to jump in and to read more. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing, Heidi. So thank you again. Yeah, absolutely.